when we're in science class, we're going to talk about patents. And if you happen to be one of those people that goes to church and you believe Bible stories, and if those Bible stories give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, I won't hold that against you. You can believe your Bible stories, but while we're talking about science, here we're talking about facts. Now, do you see the decision that has to be made? And it's not just our children, our right, or our grandchildren. It's also maybe family members that we have that have been taught all their life that science has proven evolution to be true, and they think we're just a little nuts for believing the Bible. I hope you can see why we need to have a defense for our faith. And if we don't have a defense, you know, what's going to happen? You know, perhaps you've heard the Barna Institute statistics that say that two-thirds of children raised in Christian homes today, by the time they get to be the age 18, are leaving the faith. That's kind of sobering, isn't it? And if it's true, are we talking about somebody else's kids or our own? Now, to be fair, other organizations uh, have done their own surveys, and they've come up with completely different percentages of those leaving the faith. But which percentage is acceptable to you and your family? I mean, if I, if I had a wound and I was losing 50% of my blood, would I do something about it? And yet, if these statistics are true, it's an urgent thing we need to address and we need to be equipped. In fact, we went on to U.S. college campuses here in the United States, and we actually did a survey, a video survey. We made a, a, a video about it. And um, we actually went up to students, and the first thing we did is we found out which students had regularly attended church in the past. And they were our prime target. Not everybody, obviously, but those that regularly attended church in the past. And we asked them, do you believe in creation or evolution? Not surprisingly, most of them said evolution. However, of those that said evolution, we had a follow-up question. We said, had you ever been presented evidence that supports the historical account of the Bible? And all of them, the dozens that responded, with the exception of one man, said, no, never heard a thing, didn't even know it existed. And we asked them, and none of them attended church anymore. However, the five, and only five students, that said they believed the biblical account of creation, we asked them if they had been given evidence that supports the historical account of the Bible, and unanimously and with smiles, they said, well, yeah. And they remained in church, and their faith was intact. So I hope you can see why we need to have a defense. I mean, Jesus himself, he said, If I have told you earthly things, and ye believe not, how shall ye believe if I tell you of heavenly things? So if we don't believe the Lord when it comes to things like how we got here, how this earth and universe got here, then why would we believe the gospel? That's why we do employ more PhD scientists than any ministry, not to fill you up with lots of sciencey stuff, although we do love doing that. But it's really about the faith of those people that don't know the Lord, their faith in a godless place that says that we got here by evolutionary chance, showing them evidence that they can do it, but not we showing them believers like you doing that. So that's what we're about to help equip all right, I did say we're going to talk about science a little uh, this evening, but there's a concept that you really need to understand, and that is that there are kind of two different types of science. 
And a lot of people get confused in this regard. Um, and it's an important thing for each of us to know. You see, on the one hand, what we have is what we call operational or experimental science. And perhaps you may remember when you were in junior high school, do you remember maybe using the scientific method? Do you remember learning that? Okay. Where you would develop a hypothesis, perform an experiment, make observations, you would repeat, and you would record your data. Do you guys remember that? Yeah. This is what you could do in the laboratory. You could test certain certain kind of things. It was done in the present right before our eyes, and we would come up with data to support positions. You know, for example, let's say someone here this evening did not believe in the law of gravity, okay? We could actually do an experiment. We could record data, make observations. We could repeat it until we establish whether that law is indeed true. You see, operational science that's done in the present gives us data that helps us in life. We make discoveries that allow us to make maybe better computers or travel to the moon or medical advances that benefit us all. However, this kind of science, which is what most people think of that's done in the present, is not the same kind of science when we're talking about evolution or, for that matter, anything that happened in the past. See, what we're talking about there is historic or what many call forensic science. Now, let's say in the same way someone here this evening believed that a fish over millions and millions of years of passing its genetic information on to future generations, that one of its offsprings, maybe millions of years down the line, had new DNA that would allow it to sprout new novel structures that would allow it to walk up on the land. Okay. Now, if you believe that account to be true, can you do an experiment to show that's the case? No. Is it observable? No. Is it repeatable? No. You see the difference here? See, now, this is a fossil. Okay. Let me ask you a question. Does this fossil exist in the past or the present? Yes. Okay. I heard heard different answers, so maybe let me clarify the question a little bit. Uh, Does this fossil, this one right here that I'm holding in my hand, no. Does this fossil exist in the past or the present? Present. You see, it's in the present right here before our eyes. And when we dig up a fossil, tell me, does it come with a label on it that tells us how old it is, how it lived, or how it ate? No, what we have to do is take the evidence that we have with us in the present, and then we paint a picture of what happened in the past. And that's because the evidence does not speak for itself. If you want to come up and listen to my fish later on, that's true. What we do is we interpret the evidence, and we paint a picture of what happened in the past. It must be interpreted. So let me ask you another question. We'll kind of do this as a vote with a show of hands, and that is, who has the most evidence, evolution, or creation? So how many people say evolution has the most evidence? Okay, and how many people say creation has the most evidence? All right, can I ask you a follow-up question? Um, when paleontologists are looking at the fossil record, the, the fossils that are available in the museums around the world, in the present, or perhaps in various paleontological days, okay, do the creation scientists and the evolutionary scientists, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? I think it'd be the same. 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 When they're looking at the fossil evidence that's available in the present, do they have the same or different evidence to observe in the present? The same. It's the same. 
How about astronomers when they're looking through their telescope at a particular distant galaxy and maybe taking the light and various energy waves and examining it through their mass spectrometer? Do the creation scientists and the evolutionary scientists do they the same or different evidence to observe in the past? In the present, So let me ask you a question. Let's ask it again. Who has the most evidence, evolution or creation? Creation. Mm, it's the same evidence. You guys getting it? So I get deer in the headlights looks from some of you. So let's go ahead and do our self a little experiment ourselves. Take a look at this fact. Make your observations, record your data. Here's the hypothesis to consider in this experiment. What is missing? I'm going to make it easier. I'm going to make it multiple choice. How many people think it was A? How about B? C? A. Okay, no optimists in the crowd. How about D? D. All right. So you want to know the answer? Nothing. <laughs> that sounds true. So why did you look for something missing? You said it was yes. I asked. Yeah, I told you to. Um, I did what we call in sciences, I gave you what we call presupposition. <laughs> That's a long word that means an assumption that you would use while looking at the evidence. So congratulations, everybody. Your conclusion was completely consistent with your presupposition, which happened to be completely wrong. And I know you're thinking I tricked you, but that was actually my point. In fact, the most important thing you're going to hear tonight is the following, and that is, this happens all the time. If you're watching a program, an evolutionary program, perhaps on television or opening a textbook or maybe a magazine article, I want to make sure you understand this thing. You ready? You are not being given facts. You're being given an interpretation of facts. It's based on, in the case of evolution, a presupposition that has some really big scientific problems, some of which we'll review this evening. And we need to be like the Bereans. Do you remember them in the Bible? They wanted to know what the truth was, what the facts they dug deep, and we should do nothing less in this area than what they were commended for doing. Uh, historic science is like the TV show uh, CSI. I don't know if Pastor Mike allows you to watch such programs. I only do so for research purposes myself. But in case you haven't seen the program, scientists are are digging up facts and evidence about a crime that happened in the past, and they're presenting these facts in the courtroom via to attorneys. And each attorney has a different interpretation of the exact same facts. One attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you've seen the evidence and facts before your eyes, right here in the present, before the courtroom, and obviously my client is innocent. Yet this attorney is saying, ladies and gentlemen, jury, I don't know what facts and evidence he's talking about, because clearly it shows this man's guilt. And this one's going to go, wait, 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 no, did you notice he's misinterpreting the evidence? And this one's going, I'm not misinterpreting, he is, right? Yeah. Same facts, same evidence. Two completely opposing interpretations, and it's up to the jury to decide which one makes the most sense. However, in this case, in the creation and evolution debate that's before our culture, the, the people in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and in our families, most of them have only heard one side of the story. And if that's the case, who is going to tell them the other side? Yeah. Right. Now, 
This afternoon, we're just going to take a brief look at some evidence that makes sense of the historical account of the Bible. And I'm going to start out with an icon of evolution in millions of years, namely the Grand Canyon, which gives me an excellent opportunity to slip in a family vacation shot. But if you were to go to the Grand Canyon today, you would, of course, be told that it took millions of years for these layers to be laid down and millions of years for the erosion to occur to bring about this canyon. And you know what? Indeed, when we look at the process of sedimentation, that's the laying down of those layers, what we observe in the present is that it is a very, very slow process. Those layers build up very slowly, small micro layers every year. So, if what happens in the present is what's always happened in the past, then I would grant you it had to have taken millions of years. However, did you know that the evidence is overwhelming that these massive layers were laid down by water? And where do we find layers like this? No matter where you go in the world, I want to let you know, if you start digging, you're going to find massive sedimentary layers going very deep. And inside those layers, guess what we find? Fossils. Fossils. So let me ask you a question. Can you think of any account, historical account, recorded in the Bible that might explain massive sedimentary layers covering the entire planet, including the evidence of dead things. Does anything come to mind? No, yeah, the flood. And I, I had a, a, a young man come up to me at this point, and he said, you've got to be kidding. I mean, you're claiming to be scientific, but according to the Bible that you say you also believe in, the entire world, even the highest mountains in the world, were covered by water, and there's not enough water to do that. <laughs> gotcha. So how do you answer a question like that? I get excited. Because I can show them this, for example. I mean, you might remember from junior high school that 70% of our planet is covered by extremely, unbelievably deep, deep oceans. In fact, did you notice that if you were able to take the ocean basins and lift them up and push the continents and the mountains down and reform our planet like a perfect basketball, like a sphere, did you know that there would be almost two miles of water covering this planet with just the water that's in the ocean basins today? Now, does that sound like enough water for a cataclysmic worldwide flood like the Bible describes? And you know what? It's even more exciting than that. Because you see, in the sedimentary layers of the highest mountains in the world, for example, Mount Everest, they have found fossilized marine invertebrates, clams and crabs, indicating that those layers, now at the top of the highest mountains in the world, were one time underneath the oceans, just like God's word has been telling us all along. So, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, you see, the evidence supports the historical account of the Bible as opposed to the evolutionary worldview of millions of years. And speaking of those layers taking a long time, I mean, here we have 24 feet of thousands of micro layers. And how long do you think it might have taken those layers? I mean, you would think maybe millions or at least thousands of years to do it. But actually, if you believe that, you would be wrong. Because you see, these layers were formed in just three hours on June 12th. 
1980, right after the eruption of Mount St. Helens, which made a little impact on me since I was 63 miles from the volcano when it erupted. And this is just a very small amount of the three inches of ash left in my parents' front yard that I had to shovel and dispose of. Also an excellent opportunity to slip in yet another family vacation shop. <laughs> but if you were to take your vacation at Mount St. Helens, you would encounter this canyon. This canyon is huge. It's 140th the scale of the Grand Canyon. And if you weren't there to know how it was formed, it might be logical to think that that little bitty river carved through those layers of rock that it took a really long time. But actually, you would be wrong, because this canyon was carved in only one day. March 19, 1982, after a flow came through here at highway speed, cutting through the then soft layers, which only decades later have now been turned to stone. Does it look like anything else you've seen before? logical, reasonable, and scientific explanation. So ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the evidence shows that the Bible is true. The Bible's account makes more sense of the evidence, as opposed to the evolutionary timeline of millions of years. Now that same gentleman that challenged me about the water and the flood, he goes, wait, you guys are always talking about fossils. And every scientist knows it takes millions of years for a fossil to form. Ha, gotcha. So how do you answer a question like that? I get excited because we can talk about where fossils come from. Now, if you were to go to a museum or open a textbook, you're likely to find an explanation like this, where Mr. Dinosaur dies, sinks to the bottom of the ocean, is slowly buried over millions and millions of years, and then millions of years later, through the process of permineralization, his bones and or his flesh are turned to stone. Now, now, I would admit at one time that made sense to me. But is this what we observe in the real world? See, a number of years ago, I took my daughter to Walmart and I bought her two goldfish. And she quickly named them Romeo and Juliet. Now, it was on a Thursday. Just two days later, it was Saturday morning, about 5 a.m., she's yelling from her room, Daddy, look, look, hurry, Daddy, come here, look, hurry, Daddy, look, look. And I want to let you know, 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I'm a very gentle and understanding father. So I came into her room and I said, what? She goes, look, Daddy, excuse me, Romeo is kissing Juliet. And being more of an objective observer than she, I rubbed my eyes and took a closer look and said, no, honey, actually, Romeo is eating that poor Juliet. And if any of you have fish tanks at home and one of your precious fish dies, where do you find it? It's going to be floating at the top. If you don't believe me, you can do an experiment this evening. You just need one drop of cyanide. Put that no. You don't want to do that. Because this is what you're going to see. And is it true that when we're watching a high-definition documentary about sea life and the camera comes down on the ocean bottom, do we see dozens, if not hundreds, of sea creatures dead, lying on the bottom, staying completely together, being slowly buried over millions of years? No, that's not what we observe. You see, if I really wanted to make a fossil of my daughter's remaining goldfish, what I had to do was get a shovel of concrete, sneak into her room in the middle of the night, and then throw it in there really quick. No, I didn't do that. Not that neat. <laughs> but that's the only way we can get a fossil, is through a catastrophic event like the Bible tells us about a worldwide flood. 
know, is there any fossil evidence that supports rapid burial? Well, how about this? Here's a fish that was buried so quickly it was caught right in the middle of having lunch. <coughs> or how about this? Here's an ichthyosaur in the process of giving birth. Oh, wow. Now, ladies, I've heard of really long, long labors, but millions of years. How about this? Here's a hat that was buried for only, only uh, 20 years. You might say it evolved from a soft hat into a hard hat. Yeah. Or in this case, here's a bag of flour that buried only for decades turned into stone. Or in this case, how about this? A teddy bear, fossilized in only three to five months, by the way, a little side note. Uh, Joel Tate owns these. Oh, cool. Yeah, he, he does. And by the way, a little side note, I own some fossils. They're right back there on the table, one of which is given to me by Joel Tate, a very treasured gift. It is a fossilized dinosaur egg. Wow. He no longer owns one. He gave it to me. <laughs> and thanks for something that I did for him, which is one of the most amazing gifts I've had. But if you've ever wanted to touch a genuine fossilized dinosaur egg, Probably this is your only chance in your lifetime because most of them are under glass in museums and it's just sitting on the table right back there. So don't want to miss out on that. So now I'm getting off my track. But do let me take a pause right now and just ask a question. Those examples that I just shared about the biblical account, I mean, were they easy to understand? I mean, was I talking over anybody's head? I mean, more important than that, can you picture yourself sharing stuff like that? with your children and grandchildren, your neighbor, your co-worker, people that don't know Christ, you know, with, with the hopes that the Holy Spirit can have his way and bring them to the kingdom of God. Because that's what this is all about. And if indeed this is the biggest challenge, intellectual challenge that people give against the Bible, this is where every believer needs to be equipped with defense. All right, now... I happen to know that many of you are thinking in the back of your mind, why does he keep talking about millions of years? I mean, what's the big deal about that? I mean, what if each day represents, each day of Genesis represents millions of years? I mean, why should we cause division in the church? It's not really that important. I mean, the Bible is a book of morality. I mean, shouldn't we stick with important doctrines of the Bible? But do you think if we could add millions of years into the biblical account, do you think it might impact some important doctrines? Well, let's take a look at that. In the Old and New Testament, there are genealogies, and I especially appreciate in the, in the Old Testament what's called chronogenealogies. That's where time is involved. That's where it says so-and-so was so old when his son was born, and he was so old when his son was born, and he was so old when his son was born, etc., etc. And in fact, if we add up those generations, we get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Abraham. Is that making sense so far? Are you following me? And if you notice afterwards, God is very, very particular about talking about time. Like this judge ruled for this many years, and then this king ruled for this many years, followed by this king for this many years, followed by this king for this many years. And in the reign of so-and-so, this happened, and it took this many years. You notice there's a lot of that? Well, you can go back and actually add up those generations and timelines, and you'll get a reliable time span from Adam all the way up to Jesus. You follow with me so far? And we know all the historical offense that happened between Adam and Jesus. But let me ask you a question this afternoon. If you wanted to force millions of years into the Bible, could you logically squeeze them between Adam and Jesus? No. No. 
There's no room, obviously. But you know what most people do? Christians. Most Christians say that each day in Genesis represents millions of years. Have you heard that idea? Very, very popular. However, if you do take that position, I want to let you know there's a huge theological problem, and I'm holding it in my hand right here. And that is, is that if those layers do represent millions of years and they include fossils like this, that would mean that before Adam, there was death. Before the curse. When God said it was a paradise and it was a perfect place, there would be death. Including, by the way, in the fossil record, we find evidence of cancer. And when God said his creation was very good, does anybody think cancer is... Very good. See, in the last verse of Genesis chapter chapter 1, God said that his creation wasn't just good, but this time he said it was what? Very good. So what does a very good world look like? Well, check this out. Just a couple verses earlier, God said, I give you plants for food. Okay? Basically. And so I don't want to disappoint any of you, but that means that before there was death, including of animals, that also means there was no barbecue. But notice in the next verse, he gives the animals the same command. He said, I give you plants for food. So if that is the case in that perfect world where there was no death of man nor animal, that would also mean that man and animal were what? Vegetarian. Vegetarian, which, by the way, comes from an ancient Hebrew term that means bad hunter. But just in case you're feeling bad, you know, because maybe you had some bacon with your eggs, just to know that later on, on God said that I don't just give you plants for food, but I give you all things or everything for food, which some people use as biblical justification to eat these things, okay? That was a joke, but we'll, if, you need the, the, if you need the joke afterwards, you can ask me what that means, you know, because it's all things, you know, they put, uh, never mind. All right, but you've got to think about this. A very good world is a perfect paradise. There was no death, there was no sorrow, there was no pain. We were created to live with our creator in perfect harmony, correct? But all of you know we don't live in a world like that anymore. See, God commanded Adam. He said that when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely what? God. You see, this is when death came into the world. So, if we think that each day in Genesis represents millions of years before Adam, then that would mean, and the reason that they say that's because of the sedimentary layers, and those different Mesozoic and Jurassic periods. That would mean that we had death before the fall, and even cancer. Obviously, this stands in opposition to what the Word of God says. And when you think about it, the Word of God is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was a perfect paradise. There was no death, sorrow, or pain. Because of our disobedience, there is a a consequence, a penalty for sin. It came through out of sin. And we do worship a loving God, but he's also a just God, and we need to be thankful for that. That consequence is death. 
that God sent a rescue mission, didn't he? He sent his only son, a perfect lamb of God, to be the sacrifice to cover our sin so that in the future, the Bible concludes and tells us that there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And again, there will be no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. Is anybody else looking forward to that? Mm. But see, when we said that millions of years preceded Adam, we're turning the gospel upside down. Paradise created, paradise returned. Those are the bookends of the Bible. So I hope you can see how this is an important issue that we need to stand on. If you don't believe me, maybe you can take an atheist word for it. This atheist in a debate with a Christian said the most devastating thing, though, that biology did to Christianity was the discovery of biological evolution. Satius went on to say, now that we know that Adam and Eve were never real people, the central myth of Christianity is destroyed. He went on to say, if there never was an Adam and Eve, then there never was an original sin. And if there never was an original sin, there's no need of salvation. Guess what? If there's no need of salvation, there's no need of a Savior. And this atheist concluded, I submit, that puts Jesus, historical or otherwise, into the ranks of the unemployed. I think evolution is absolutely the death knell of Christianity, and I agree with them. Evolution is the death of Christianity. That's why we need to have a defense for our faith. Speaking of causing division in the church, you know, people will say, well, millions of years. I mean, why should we limit God on how he created? I mean, he's a powerful God. But don't you think it's about time that we allow God to tell us how he created through his word? And speaking of causing a division in the church, how about this guy? He caused a pretty big division, and listen to what he said. He said, when Moses writes that God created heaven and earth and whatever is in them in six days, if you cannot understand how this could have been done in six days, then grant the Holy Spirit the honor of being more learned than you are. For you are to deal with Scripture in such a way that you bear in mind that God himself says what is written, but... Since God is speaking, it is not fitting for you wantonly to turn his word in the direction you wish to go. Amen. Amen. Nature or culture might be better stated by a more modern theologian that you're familiar with. And this is what he said. He said, the church used to hang the whole thing on one hook. If you don't do these things, if you don't act morally, then you will burn in hell. But listen to what he said next. Unfortunately, with what we know about science... And we know what he's talking about there. Anyone who thinks at all probably doesn't believe in that fire and brimstone stuff anymore, so organized religion, you have lost that voice to hold up your moral hand. Does that sound like anything you've heard in our culture? I mean, when you think about it, he's basically saying, now that science has proven that the Bible is biology, geology, astronomy, and for that matter, history is wrong because science has proven that evolutionary uh, evolution is true, and it with one with its millions of years. Then if your Bible is wrong, then the morality contained in that same biblical text is therefore also wrong. So you Christians have no right to tell me how to live my life. Do you know what? If you guys want to believe those Bible stories, and if for you they give you hope and purpose and meaning in your life, you can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. You, you believe in your truth, I'll believe in my truth. That way you'll be okay, and I'll be Am I going to be okay in an eternal sense? Yeah. But isn't this a reflection of the culture we live in? Yeah. 
And notice what he does. Anybody knows about science. And these are the kind of arguments that we need to demolish that are standing up against people knowing the true creator, Jesus Christ. Now, there are so many other things that we could talk about. And maybe when we conclude, we'll do a brief little Q&A session. But there are so many topics of people that have questions. And we don't have time to cover everything there. But we need to be equipped with a defense. And I hope you don't mind me being very practical right now. Uh, for me, I remember about 10% sermons for 10 minutes, and then it's gone. I'm sure that's not the case with Pastor Mike, right? <laughs> but if you listen to a recording of the message a second or third time, would you understand the information better? So that's the practicalness. We, we should be studying those things that we need to know. To me, how many people here know that there's a battle going on for the souls of men waging right now? And I, I want to let you know, if you go into that battle, you will find people using this particular intellectual excuse as their reason for not believing in the work and thinking you might be a little nuts for rejecting what they might think is science. So I hope you don't be being practical right now in, 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 uh, in your pursuit to get equipped. But I would like to go ahead and just tell you, we did bring some resources here, but I want to focus in on one particular one where we get more testimonies of people coming to know Christ through one resource more than any other, and that is Creation Magazine. At the last church I was at this morning, there was a gentleman there that subscribed to this for 25 years. It's been around almost 45 years, but it was pretty cool. The guy's on fire. He's sharing his faith all over the place. This is the most read publication of its kind in the world. It comes out quarterly. It is 56 pages, but there's no advertising. I don't know if you guys took your magazines and took all the advertising out. Would you have 56 pages left? But what's left in here isn't just a good recipe for butternut squash. This is information that you can use in the same way that I've tried to do today. Easy to understand things you can share with other people, informally or formally, to show them that the Bible's account is true, to start to open minds. So it's a resource like no other in the world. But if you guys do decide to subscribe to a one-year Subscription, you'll get your first issue, the current issue that's out right now. Actually, that's not it, it's another one. It's got a hammerhead shark on it. Pretty cool. Uh, first issue you'll get today. Also, every month you'll get a newsletter with a few more articles with information that you can use. On top of that, you'll get the digital version of the magazine up to five devices so laptops, tablets, uh, phones. People, everybody in your family can have their own copy, a digital copy of the magazine, up to five devices. And then if you do, instead of a one-year, but a two-year, you'll get two videos on DVD. One, this award-winning documentary features Darwin on his trip to the Galapagos, and it's an exceptionally well-made documentary. And it asks the question, if Darwin were alive today and knew the scientific evidence, would he come to the same conclusions he did? back in the time of the 1800s. As well as, you'll also get this video. Okay, This is the one where we went on college campuses that are referred to you. You're going to see these students in their own words tell why they accepted or rejected the faith, along with some of the answers that our scientists will give you to their questions. So as this form comes around, 
Uh, all you need to do is just put a little bit of basic information, take it back to my lovely wife in the back, and she'll make sure she can get your free gifts and everything. So go ahead. And while those are circulating, let me just share two more pieces of evidence that are easy to understand that you can use to, um, to uh, show people that, that the Word of God is true. How many people here have heard the idea that carbon dating proves millions of years? Okay. It's a pretty complicated thing. But let me give you just a really simple understanding of at least one account of that. And it's using potassium argon dating method. All right, They took a rock from a volcanic lava dome, sent it into a potassium argon dating lab, and they got an age of 350,000 years. Then they extracted a mineral from that same rock, and this time they got 900,000. And they extracted yet another mineral from that rock, sent it, and he tested. It was 2.8 million, it's reported. So let me me, uh, refresh that. So it's the same rock, taken from the same volcanic lava domes, taken to the same potassium argon dating lab, same scientist, same mass spectrometer, all these different dates. Which one do you guys think might be right? Actually, this is the correct date right here. And the reason we know that is because this rock came from the Mount St. Helens volcanic lava dome. It was only formed 10 years before these tests were done. Mm-hmm. So if we get radioisotope dates of rocks when we know the age, that are completely incorrect. Does that bring into question the assumptions that scientists use when collecting the data and their way of interpretation? You bet. And we have a book called The Answers Book that will go into detail on that. And if you guys if you want to do a little Q&A, we can go into that too. But let me give you one more. And this is actually my favorite piece of evidence to share. Okay? And that is that not too many years ago, um, Dr. Mary Schweitzer at the time at Montana State University, under the great Jack Horner, the number one dinosaur paleontologist in the world, uh, featured in the film, uh, the film Jurassic Park films. Um, or it's a character who's modeled after him. But she was working for the real Jack Horner, and a femur bone of T-Rex was broken open, and they found inside red blood cells. I want you to think about that for just a moment, okay? T-Rex bone, red blood cells. This is how she responded. She said, I got goosebumps. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. But of course, I couldn't believe it. I said to the lab technician, the bones, after all, they are 65 million years ago. I know that to be a fact. How could blood cells survive that long? And you know, years later, it got even more exciting because they dissolved the bony matrix and they found soft fibrous tissue that was flexible and resilient when stretched, returned to its original shape. Does that look 65 million years old to you? And yet they found transparent blood vessels with liquid contents. And this is what she said. She said it was totally shocking. I didn't believe it until we'd done it 17 times. And guys, remember when we were talking about using the scientific method, looking at the evidence in the present in the laboratories, and here she is repeating the experiment. But she can't believe it. And you know what? I don't blame her. Because sometimes our faith in what we believe is hard to let go. But I would like to give you a different interpretation of this evidence on the back of my 
PhD colleagues, if you don't mind. Can I, can I share with you a different interpretation of this? Yeah. The dinosaur bones are not 65 million years old. Okay, that's another interpretation. Don't let anybody hear about that. But I hope you can see how you can be prepared with answers. If you happen to know another church, whether it be in the United States or anywhere in the world, we have offices all around the world. I do have, I believe, two more pastor packs. I would love for you to give to maybe a pastor friend you know or send it to him, and you can help get our speakers. Like you said, we don't charge a set fee, so there's no excuse. Also, our website has the answers, and the website, again, is what, guys? All right. And uh, listen, besides the magazine, if you were going to get anything else, I would get the starter pack. This includes three resources. The most important is the answers book. This answers the 60 most asked questions on the subject. Very easy to understand, very easy to read. Stuff about Noah's Ark, carbon dating, plate tectonics, ape men, the ice age, dinosaurs, and my favorite topic, uh, favorite question, where did Cain get his wife when he wasn't able? Also, the uh, Refuting Evolution book is included in the starter back, and that is the most, uh, the biggest selling creation book of all time. So more copies of this has been sold than any other creation book. So those are both in the starter pack. I'm showing you this, even though we sold out of these this morning, but this is the best thing we've done. I would say that the video, the DVD, which is $19, it can also be uh, gotten up on our website as a streaming platform. Uh, if you want to buy one and put down your name and address, we'll mail it to you for free. If you guys want to do a Bible study or a Sunday school class, a 12-week thing, if somebody wants to buy this for the church, um, this is an excellent one. It comes with a study guide, so that'd be something. But 20 years ago, resources like this didn't even exist. And I, I think right now is an exciting time to be a Christian. But I'd like to conclude with a question that we kind of started with. And that is, are you willing to equip and train yourself with the answers to the tough questions that the culture is challenging us with about the veracity of the Bible? So that you can be the one that dives in and rescues the perishing, while perhaps others stand by and watch. So that you can fulfill this command to be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason for the hope that is in you. Right? Thank you, guys. And with such a small crowd, if you would like, we could do a little bit of question and answer. Would you like to do that for a little bit? Would that be okay? So the rules for question and answer, sorry, there are rules. Uh, one is your question needs to be about creation evolution. It's about eschatology or soteriology. I'm going to refer you right to your pastor. So it needs to be about the origins issue. The second rule is your question needs to be in the form of a question. In the form of a question, some people have trouble with that, so I'll ask you. So, anybody have any questions that they have thought about while we're talking about this? Yes, ma'am? Is it important for us to know exactly how old the Earth is? And how do, well, how do we know that? Do we even know that? All right, the first question is, is a very important question, a very good one. Um, I, I don't think it's important for us to know exactly how old the Earth is. We can tell, and I'll answer that question momentarily. We can tell pretty much close within 50 years. 
That's how close we can know. But I think the most important thing is what I've covered in this presentation is to know that if we accept the millions of years, we can see how it stands against that perfect paradise, which is the foundation of the fall, which is the foundation of why Christ came to redeem a people unto himself. Does that make sense? So in that part is important. It's also empirically important, not just because of doctrine within us as Christians, but maybe more so to reach the lost who have been told all their life that the Bible is written by men, it's got errors in it and everything, but to show them, hey, I know this is kind of crazy, but have you ever seen soft tissue and dinosaur bones? As if, if dinosaurs are millions of years, then how could that be? Or, in the case, actually, I believe this woman's looking at a, a, a book right back there called Dire Dragons. It's got artwork pictures of what they call dragons that match dinosaurs hundreds, and in some cases millennia, before the first dinosaur bones were ever discovered. How could men do artwork of dragons that match dinosaurs that we know existed unless they had seen them? Stuff like that is mind-blowing. So that answers the first part of the question. The way that we can do it is obviously the Abraham, or the Adam through Abraham one is very easy. Anybody with a calculator can do that. The rest of it is a little complicated, but the information is right there. So if you go on to creation.com slash, oh, I might mess this up. I would say just look age of the earth. I have a great article that has a chart on it that explains all the Bible passages and how you can chronologically figure out the age of the earth. So yes, and for those curious, 6,100 years, give or take 50. Thank you. But don't just take my word for it. Do the math. Bodie Hodge did a really neat article showing the, the royals of Europe all having their lineages going back to Adam as well, mm-hmm. which is a really unique set of contemporary data. Yes. It's really mm-hmm. pretty much yeah. along the same line. Yeah. Any other questions? Okay, cool. Well, I appreciate it. Well, I'd say that another thing, and I did share First Peter 3.15, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but it's followed that says do it with gentleness and respect. And I've seen a lot of well-meaning Christians kind of take the attitude of, oh yeah, well let me show you what the truth is. Almost combative, but instead we should be gentle and respect. These people aren't stupid. They're making conclusions based on their knowledge base. It doesn't mean that they're... It means that they're ignorant. Don't use those words because it's misunderstood. But it means they just don't know. And, you know, if, not, if not for the grace of God, so why? We need to be gentle and respectful as we share this information, especially with people that don't know, not to be combative. So, appreciate your time. And if I find out where my wife is, yes. Were you, were you saying that the earth... For creation of man was 6,100 years ago? Are you saying with all the earth and the planets and everything else? All right, so it would be at the same time because the Bible says, like for instance, in Exodus, in Exodus chapter 20, which is where we find the Ten Commandments, 
um, we actually um, see that right there it says that God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them in, in six days. And man was created on the sixth day. And nothing was, you know, and none of this universe was, was made before that time. So six days is creation. Yeah, if we start to say that he created the heavens and the earth and different things before that, we get into that problem that I was talking to you about where you say that those layers represent millions of years and that means there's death before the fall. But then, listen, I want to make sure you understand. I'm going to repeat this. No, I don't. It's not just because of doctrine that that's important. The evidence supports an earth that is, according to their terms, relatively young. I personally find 6,100 years to be a really long time. I hate when people say, are you an old earth or new earth? And I, I never answer that question directly. Because if I say, well, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm younger, then the conversation's over. I say, well, I actually look at the biblical and the scientific evidence, and I start a conversation, and then I answer the, the question the really long way. But now I'm in a conversation where we can talk about it. So it isn't just because you want your Bible doctrine to get her, to get it right. It's also because you want people to start opening their mind to see that the Bible is true so that the gospel can become real to them. Ultimately, it's about people coming in over this. Make sense? All right, cool. So you're saying... You're, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Was, I'm just trying to understand what you're saying. You're saying that... If we go with a million years, then there has to be pre-death um, before Adam and Eve. Or, okay, I'll, I'll you we go with millions of years. The only reason you would go with millions of years is because you say the geologic column, you know, the, the Jurassic, the Mesozoic, and all that stuff is scientific fact. And within that geologic column, we find evidence of death. Now, that geologic column was formed 4,500 years ago in one event. What? Yeah, the worldwide flood. Virtually every fossil that we have was formed because of the flood. Okay? Yeah. So, um, restate your question because I start my brain you kind of get off track. No, that's so good. Help me. Is that I, I was just trying to ask you what did you mean when you were saying that? Okay, do you think if you believe in, in the evolution process of a million years or however, there has to be pre death to Adam? There has to be death before the fall, before Adam. I mean, Adam, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, it, all death came because of Adam's sin of at the fall. Yeah. Tell one more question. Biblically, this argument was never posed in Scripture. Right? What argument wasn't? About, uh, well, they didn't have evolution back then. Age of the Earth. The Age of the Earth, yeah. Well, the Age of the Earth wasn't brought into question until the late 1700s. There are a few philosophers, not scientists, but a few philosophers that believe that the Earth was incredibly old. But most scientists and philosophers, with very, very few exceptions, believe that the Earth was on a biblical scale, until the late 1700s. There's kind of a chart. And keep in mind, this was at the tail end of what they called the Enlightenment, which some of my colleagues enjoy calling it the Endarkenment. But this is when basically an anti-God idea was, was starting to take root. And it's been going on for a few hundred years, and it continues to go to this day. 
But in the late 1700s, a guy named Charles Lyell, not that he caused it, but he was considered to be the, the, uh, the father of geology. He wrote a book, uh, wrote a, a two-volume book called, I forgot, uh, it was basically a geology primer, which, by the way, Charles Darwin had on the uh, on the boat with him uh, on the HMS people when he went to the Galapagos, and he read the whole thing. And it's been recorded his conversations with Captain Fitzroy, who was a Christian on that boat, and he was talking about how that that book was really what started him thinking about long age. So nobody really questioned, nobody thought it was really long age. Very few, like virtually none, up until late 1700s, started taking up into the 1800s. And I would say when it really took off was just post-World War II. It's when those ideas hit it. And more of the culture driving it rather than the facts. Right. So they just began challenging God. Yeah, yeah. This is it, it, it is the biggest challenge to the Word of God. Intellectual. You've got to remember, now I'm going to say, that even though it's an intellectual challenge, the root of it is to say when people reject their faith and use this as an excuse, it's usually to say, I want to live my lifestyle the way I want to. I don't want to do it according to the Bible. So they need to, intellectual, come up with an excuse to say, I'm rejecting God's way. So there is a very spiritual basis of why this intellectual excuse happens. But if we, as believers, are equipped with a defense in this intellectual excuse, okay, we can at least allow the Holy Spirit maybe to work on people as we begin to challenge their worldview, and maybe they can come to the place where the Holy Spirit is going to say, but the Bible is true, and break down their walls and go, oops. Maybe God is wrong. Maybe the Bible is true. And by the way, I don't just make all this up. It's just not philosophy. We've seen it happen over and over and over again. Joel Tay in particular was a street evangelist. I don't know if he told you that. When he was on the streets of Singapore as well as in, in uh, Brisbane and Sydney, Australia. And he was out on the street sharing. And this was where people changed their mind and turned their hearts to the Lord. And sometimes... Just one conversation. But the Lord also works through great ways. We might just be planting a seed in our hands. It can be such a help to somebody who, if we present a, a short, convincing, you know, mm-hmm. five minutes for them to go, oh, I can wrap all of that, you know, but they, if, if they're kids and it was all cut out from under them, or even, you know, in, in college is kind of when I became an evolutionist, you know. Mm-hmm. Someone starts handing these things back to you, and you're like, oh, yeah. And, and so we help them. It can just be such a blessing to someone who's been untethered, and then they're just kind of like mm-hmm. a healing balloon. I've been I've been on an airplane sitting by somebody that I've just met, sitting down and getting conversation and you know, I, I steer the conversation to that. Like when well I have I have a blessing say, uh, oh yeah, I'm business with pleasure. Oh, I'm on business. What do you oh I'm an insurance salesman? Oh fascinating. So yes, I am sarcastic and lying a little because I don't think insurance sales is fascinating. I hope I didn't offend any insurance salesman. <laughs> but I'm not quite as fascinated by it. But anyhow, I want to ask questions, then he said, well, what do you do? And I said, well, I work for this organization. I'm working with the agency scientists in any uh, Christian ministry in the world. We show how the 
physical evidence in the, in the world supports the historical account of the Bible, and then I look at their face. <laughs> but often I get in a conversation, but I will pull out my laptop, and I'll show them those slides, and I'll show them, and I'll usually start with the dinosaur tissue, and I say, look at that. So I would say, see, five minutes, and I'll tell you, some of them are going, what? And then I show them the artwork of dinosaurs. And it just starts to crack the edge. Then I give them uh, what I call web card, which we have some of them maybe back on the table that you can use at saycreation.com, and just to try to start breaking down those walls, and with the hope that, you know, like I said, the spirit will have this way and bring them into to faith in Christ. I think people might be getting a little sick and tired of science trying to shut everything down their throats these days too. They expect us to just hand it out and us to well, thank you guys again. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for coming all the way over here. Excuse me? Thank you for coming all the way up here. Oh, well, I, we just came from Sacramento or something. I mean, I'm three and a half hours. I'm going to Phoenix, New Mexico. I've spoken in South Africa. That was a long way. You could yeah. say that was a long way. That's, this, is not, this, is, this is wonderful, Sacramento. And, and, and actually, I lived 29 years in Snow County, so this is like a lot of Okay. Oh, yeah. How do you answer the question about when people always go, well, something they got? I mean, I know somebody they got. How do you respond to that? Well, we have a DVD. It's not a new one. It's 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 a new one. Yeah. Uh, here's the cool thing. I said that uh, it's called the wrong causation. Everything has a cause. So you have to come up with what created a tree that was worse than what that said. Yeah, that's a true idea. And by the way, I believe that's one of the questions that we have. Oh, okay, good. I think it's the I think it's chapter one. Yeah, but it's amazing, yeah. Sure. Now, you know, just uh, I'll, I'll talk with Chris and uh, see if 